You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Good morning, church. It's good to see you all today. My name is Kayla Higginbotham. I have been attending Free City for about five and a half years. I have the honor of serving on the communion and sound team uh, and the privilege to co-lead a city group alongside not just two of my best friends, but truly two of the most godly people I know, Kevin and Maggie Teets. Right, they deserve that. Uh, we meet on Monday nights at 6 p.m., our city group does, so if you haven't gotten plugged in, gosh, we would just love to connect and chat with you more. Uh, today we will be reading, I will be reading from Matthew 14, verses 1 through 21. You can find that on page 769 on one of the hardback black Bibles around you if you do not have your own. Matthew 14, 1 through 21. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod, so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his, his oaths and his guests to be, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it. And they went and told Jesus. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over and those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Lord, uh, just as I read through this scripture and this passage that is going to get preached on today, it's hard to stomach the first half of this, Lord. It's hard to imagine that this is in your scriptures, uh, but I also suppose the griminess of the Bible shows how trustworthy it is. I think about your son and how emotionally exhausted he must have felt when he heard the news only to lean in and uh, love those around him rather than pull back, even when his time to step away was interrupted. God, what a wonderful Savior we serve, and that that is the character of the God we follow. Lord, I pray that um, as we hear this today, gosh, that it would just resonate with us, Lord, that 
it would meet us where we're at, that it would help us draw unto you more, God, and not to pull back. And just that um, if this is a passage we've heard before, would you just find a way to not let us become numb and just read the words, but really find a way to connect with you um, and find and listen to what you're calling for us and from us out of this passage today, Lord. Um, Also just pray for Central Middle School. God, uh, as I continue to just hear the stories of teachers and talk to teachers, this year truly uh, is unlike anything they've ever experienced. And God, I pray for protection and strength over them in the school. God, even if on a Sunday a teacher finds their way into a classroom in the school and they hear words being sung during worship or the scriptures being preached, God, I pray that they would just peek their head in here and that we would be bold to go introduce ourselves to them. God, I pray for the students who um, I just truly cannot imagine what it would be like to be a middle schooler right now. The weight of the world, the way that um, social media presses in on them, despite just everything else going on, God, I can't imagine just the confusion, the chaos, the unsettlement of their heart. So Lord, would you watch over the the students of this school. God, would you watch over the staff and administration? Lord, would you truly give them a belief that um, they can only do what they can with what they have where they are and that'll be sufficient and that your grace will fill in the gaps. God, we are so appreciative of your word. We're appreciative of the way it's taught and for this community and congregation and we just lift all these things up in your name. Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. Wow, that's the voice I've always wanted. Um, my name's Casey. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and uh, if you're with us for the first time, uh, man, we're so glad you're here. Uh, if uh, I just, you know, I just recently learned it's fall break, and so sorry, none of you guys are on a beach or anything. Um, but we're really glad you're here. Uh, you know, we exist to extend the glory of God uh, by making disciples uh, through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what that means is everything that we do, uh, we want to point you to the historical, real Jesus. Like, like the, the, the Jesus that we find in, in the scriptures, the Jesus that is God incarnate who stepped into humanity so that he could be the, huma- the humanness that we could never achieve that would please God so that we could have that kind of record in exchange for our record, which does not please God. But the gospel opens up not just a way of salvation. Jesus opens up a continence, a way that God now looks at you. Like Jesus opens up an affection from God in your darkest moments. That's the Jesus that we see in the scriptures. And so often that's just not the, the Jesus that, that I picture. You know, you know, like the moment you mess up again or you fail again, like the Jesus I picture is this Jesus who's like tapping his toe. Like what do you have to say now? Or the Jesus who is just like almost done with you but only holding on to you because of obligation because he's the son of God, it's his job to forgive, so I guess he'll forgive. Like a Jesus who is totally put out with you and yet that's not what we see in the scriptures but we read them and we miss it because there's a construct in our heart that says God couldn't love me. And sometimes we try to numb that with, well, he, he, surely he would love me more than like that guy or more than that girl. I mean, look how messed up they are. But it doesn't satisfy. It still leaves us wondering, what is the heart of God for me? 
when he thinks about me, misses nothing in my life. Like, don't just think about the high moments. When he thinks about me, what is in his heart? What does he think about? Uh, Kenzie and I were first married. I was doing student ministry. We bought our first home. And uh, we had been in there for about a month. uh, And then maybe a little bit longer than that. But not long. I mean, I was still trying to get to know my neighbors. Um, My my first interaction with a neighbor across the street, he was a man of very few words. He's a little bit older. And, you know, trying to talk to him, um, it wasn't very successful. I mean, I remember running over and being like, hey, my name's Casey. I'm your new neighbor. We've got a dog. You know, just trying to. And he kind of was like, "Uh uh-huh. And I was like, man, this isn't going well. And uh, I remember coming back and telling Kenzie, I was like, hey, I met a new neighbor. Pretty sure he hates me. I don't know why. But it didn't get better. So we had this uh, big weekend, uh, Disciple Now weekend, where you take all the students, you put them in host homes, and you get them jacked up on, on carb sugar and Mountain Dew. And, um, and then you talk to them about Jesus and hope that works out. Well, there was all this rumors. Like people were like, oh, man, we're going to prank everyone. And, like, this is what happens. Like, pranking starts off fun, like, ha, 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 I got you. But it keeps escalating, you know? It starts off like, oh, I got you. It's like, oh, no, I got you. Oh, no, I got you. I hate you. Die, you know? I mean, it just escalates. And so we're trying to figure out how do we stop this, you know? And so we, uh, because there was all this, like, we've got forks. We're going to fork a friend or something. And so I just turned it to fork a pastor, and so I was like, hey, listen, you have to number your forks according to your group, you know, like color code them, and uh, you can try to fork my house. So I was just going to bring all the hate, all the animosity to me, and I was just going to handle it. But I was like, hey, I'm going to defend my house, you know. And so I was thinking it was, it was like uh, Jan- late January, it was cold and misty, and I was just going to bring the hose out and just spray people, you know. And, uh, and I had this one group, they came up, a group of boys, and they were like, hey, we don't want to win. We just want to defend your house. And uh, I was like, man, that's love, you know. Uh, baby, don't hurt me. That's love. And so I was like, sure. Well, when they showed up at my house, and you need to know Ethan was in that group. When they showed up at my house, they had like syrup and flour and other like just random condiments. And I was like, are we going to make pancakes? What are we going to do here? And man, it was Oh my gosh, the, the mess that it made in my entire neighborhood as kids came to try to fork the yard. I mean, they were pouring syrup on them and dashing them with flour. The flour covered the entire neighborhood because it was misting. And the next morning when I came out and, you know, trying to clean up, I came out and my neighbor was standing across the street just looking like this. <laughs> and I remember thinking, gosh, I... I really want to know what he's thinking. But I just went back in my house because I couldn't have that conversation right now. But I remember looking. What is he thinking? What what is in his heart in this moment? When he thinks about me, what is there? And like that is a small question compared to like when you're talking about your neighbor compared to God. What does God think about when he thinks about you. We, uh, over the next several weeks, we're going to be uh, giving free books out because we got them for free. We thought about charging, but that felt sinful. Um, but uh, Dan Ortland, he, he wrote this book called Gentle and Lowly. 
And, and for the next, like, uh, I think 17 weeks, you know, we're going to break kind of over Christmas, but we're going to come back. We're using that book to kind of prompt us to really look at Jesus. And we're asking this question, uh, what is the correlation between Jesus joy and sinners because the correlation is much tighter than what you think and right here in Matthew 14 we're, we're we're taking kind of a longer passage because it tells us something very important it tells us something about that is in the heart of Jesus for needy people It tells us what is like in the bottom of his heart. Like when he thinks about the people pressing in to get to him. The people bringing their brokenness and their needs. Possibly their accusations. He tells us what is in his heart. What erupts from the heart of God for needy people. And so I just have two points. And so the first one is this. We're going to look at the varied needy people who are pressing on Jesus. So needy people. And then the second point we're going to look at a compassionate Jesus Christ. And so look at this. Number one, needy people. The people coming to Jesus are needy in so many different ways, in some similar ways, but some very, very different ways. But they all have need. They're all coming with like a deficit in their lives. They all have uncertainty. There's confusion that we see. We see doubts. We even see like spiteful accusations. And then we see just emptiness in their life. Like look at this. In in verse 1, the first group that we see is this like confused, hurt, and brokenhearted group coming to Jesus with, with questions. And it's like the tragic part of this that we read. So look at the verse part. In verse 1 it says, At the time, Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about the fame of Jesus. And so this is the part of Jesus' ministry. If If you're familiar with the Gospel of Mark, you see the mutants of Mark where constantly, you know, Jesus is telling after people after he heals them, don't tell anyone. Keep it under wraps. Don't tell anyone. And no one obeys him. They're just like, man, I gotta explain it. Like I couldn't walk. My family was like, what have you been doing? You're like, well, I met Jesus. And so they're telling Jesus' fame is growing and growing. And so now Herod, the king, he hears about Jesus and he's heard about this ministry. He's heard about things that are going on, but it's not silent anymore. It is very, very public. You know, we actually get a picture of this in Acts 25. And so, I mean, if it kept growing, like we see this. And so, if you're familiar with Acts, this is after Jesus has died, been resurrected and ascended, and the church is starting. But it just shows the publicness of Jesus, like how public he was. And so, you have Paul, he's been arrested, and he's been put on trial, and he finds himself before two leaders, between Festus, who's the, uh, the Roman uh, governor, and before King Herod, who would have been Hebrew, but was like a liaison between the Romans uh, and the Hebrew people. And so he finds himself giving a defense, but he had already said, hey, I'm a Roman citizen, so I want to be tried in a Roman court. And so they were about to send him, but they bring him before and say, hey, I want you to hear this story. And so they they hear Paul's story, and he just loves to tell a story. So he just unpacks his story, and he gets to the moment where he talks about Jesus' death and resurrection, and Festus stands up and he says, Paul, all you're reading has driven you mad. You're crazy. You're crazy if you think this, you know, carpenter turned teacher from a nowhere place actually rose from the dead. We killed him. You're crazy. 
And what Paul says is he looks at Festus and he says, oh, listen, Festus, you know about these things. You know about these things because they weren't done in the corner. They're very, very public. This is the beginning of how things got public. And what we have is King Herod is hearing this and he starts to get afraid. He starts to say, who is this Jesus? So look at verse 2. And he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. And so he's afraid. He has this guilty conscience. He's worried about what's going on. And we get the story about what happened in verses 3 through 11. So listen to the story. It says, For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. Okay, this is the part of the story that just gets creepy. Like Herodias is actually, okay, so you have Herod the Great Senior, and then you have this Herod the Tetrarch, and he's like Junior, and so he's Herod the Second, but you've got this whole broken family that's all kind of broken up in all these different ways. And so Herodias was actually Herod Senior, so big Herod was his granddaughter, and so she was married to Philip, who was Herod Jr.'s half-brother. And so we have Herodias being married by her uncle. And then we have that being divorced, that happening, and Herod running off after a little family vacation. Like, we have scandal. Like, this is the stuff that paparazzi and the tabloids would want to pick up, and they would run over and over. And all along the way, John the Baptist with the public ministry was saying, it's wrong. It's wrong. So the divorce happens. And John the Baptist looks at Herod and says, it's wrong. The marriage announcements go out. And John, John the Baptist looks at Herod and says, it's wrong. The wedding happens. And John the Baptist looks and says, it's wrong. And finally, Herod had enough. And he didn't want to hear him anymore. So he just arrests him. And then we get to verse 5. And it says, and though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod, so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Like, do you see the brokenness in this? So this is Herodias' daughter. This is the stepdaughter, grandniece, whatever that is, to King Herod. And it goes on in verse 8. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl. And she brought it to her mother. Before we move on from this, like, there's a danger. Like, there's a danger that we see a lot of brokenness all around, but we kind of come epicenter and we just see the brokenness of Herodias and we're like, man, listen, if you have similar names, you shouldn't get married because someone has to take a nickname. It's just confusing to all the friends. But we see the brokenness of her saying, give me his head. But there's a lot of brokenness before this happens. What about the darkness of two immoral men 
who their unconstrained lust for beauty holds no regards for what's right or wrong. What if you strip away the title king from this and you strip away you know, this crazy party favor of beheading someone to take like the weirdness out of it? We see, we see something like... We see something that is altogether too dark and too common. We see two immoral uncles. Lots of brokenness. Lots of need. And not all of the brokenness and needs come to Jesus, but some of it comes to Jesus. Look at verse 12. And when the disciples came and took the body and buried it, they went and told Jesus. Think about like all that's there. Like, like I see grief. Our friend is dead. I, I see confusion. He was speaking the truth and you let this happen. I see accusation. How could you? Where were you when this was going on? Like I know it says that they just came and told Jesus. I just don't know if that's descriptive enough for the grief, confusion, suffering, broken dreams, broken hearts that are there, it'd probably be better to say they came and maybe even accused Jesus. The first needy group, it's so much more than just the disciples of John the Baptist, but they come, they're confused, they're hurt, they have broken dreams, a broken heart, and they're coming to Jesus. And so the first group, like, Do you have things that you were hoping for, that you thought would happen, but they fell apart in your hands? And like, have you brought that to Jesus to say, why? Why? Like, are you, like, is there fear that bringing that to Jesus and saying why, he might just say, well, that's what you get, follow me anyways. Or that he might not have time for you, or he might just set you away. Like, how does Jesus respond to people who just come and say, why? going to see but there's another group look look at verse 13 and 14 in verse 13 and 14 let me just describe it like jesus tries to get away like he sees that he sees the grief it's like he wants to go away and process it his his friend cousin john the baptist the one that called him the messiah of god the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world before anyone else like he sees him he's gone It says in verse 13 that he tries to get away and so he gets in a boat and he sails across the Sea of Galilee but people see him leaving and what they do is they run around to the next city and while they're running around to the next city they're telling others Jesus is here, Jesus is here and everyone, he gets off the boat trying to get away and everyone's there and they've brought sick, they've brought the people in need. Jesus seeking rest encounters the weak and the sick, and it says that he receives them. Like, I mean, some questions we would ask, like, have you ever been in pain or, or, or and started to lose hope? Uh, one of my good friends, he, he's older, and he, he got COVID. He wasn't hospitalized or anything like that, but he was really sick for a really long time. And I remember talking to him. I'm like, man, hey, how are you doing? You know, how was it? And he just said this. He's like, man, I, I didn't think I was going to die but I started to forget what it felt like to feel good. I started to think I might never feel good again. That's what pain and suffering does. 
It settles in and it makes you forget. And so we see the sick, those in pain, those who are losing hope, running to Jesus. Have you ever been in pain, unable, and just felt like a burden to others? You know, it's taken me a while, but I am fully convinced uh, that my wife, Kenzie, handles pain a lot better than me. You know, and it's not just the childbirth thing. I mean, I was there all four. That was intense. It's not just that. Um, I mean, that, that's an easy trump card to pull out. And it's, it's real. It is real. Um, but, I mean, it's like in everything. Like, it's often like I'll get sick and, uh, and I, I respond a certain way. And then she'll get sick and she responds just a little bit better or a lot better. And I usually, I usually thought of it like this, like, hey, man, I took the more, like, violent strand for her. I took it for her, and she got a less aggressive one. And I'm just not for sure. I think it might be actually genetic because her mom recently broke her wrist. She was trying to catch a frog for a, a granddaughter, and she compound broke her wrist. And she goes and surgery and gets it all fixed and all this stuff, and they give her, like, a prescription for pain meds. And they're like, hey, if you take those, you can't drive. And she's like, well, if I can't drive, how do I go to Freddy's to eat? And so she's like, pain medication, drive through Freddy's, drive through Freddy's. You know, I mean, she was just like, I don't even need that. And that's her response. Now, my mom, on the other hand, she just got a, uh, a new knee, a titanium knee, which is a huge surgery, um, huge long recovery. Uh, but when she was in the hospital, my sister was with her. And the nurse came in and was like, all right. Uh, Sharon, what is your pain level on a scale of 1 to 10? Before she could get 1 to 10 out, my mom goes, 10, it's a 10. And uh, the nurse said, we try to hold the 10 designation for people like on fire. So let's say if it's not a 10, what might it be? And my, 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 my sister is also a nurse. She's like, I know what the nurse did. She wrote, patient says she's a 10, you know. Um, but I think I inherited that. Like, no, this is a 10. This is definitely a 10. But have you ever been sick? Needed help? But scared to death that the burden it would put on others would drive their heart away? Jesus is receiving the sick. He's welcoming them. And so we have the confused and the hurt. We have the sick and the feeble, but we also have the empty and the hungry. And so jump down. We see in verse 15, like this crowd has amassed. The rumors have been flying. Jesus is here. People are following. And so Jesus doesn't just heal the sick. He starts to teach everyone. He was trying to get away, but he makes time and he starts to teach. But this is the situation in verse 15. It says, now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. The day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for them. Like this is a practical solution, a practical concern. It's getting late. There's a lot of hungry people. Some people can't handle the hungry thing and it becomes hangry. And so there's a lot of people, there's going to be a percentage of people who are hangry out there. It could get out of hand. This is practical. 
Every team needs someone who's practical to say, this is the reality that we live in. We need to send them away. Every marriage does well to have someone who's practical. Someone who looks at the other spouse and says, you know, maybe our kids should go to bed sometime tonight. Or, or, or to say, you know, maybe building a potato cannon isn't the best Christmas present for them because it uses combustible fuel. And then later that week to say, maybe you shouldn't have shot the potato cannon at the playground. And I'm like, I don't know. I mean... It just seems too practical to me. I mean, everyone needs this. Verse 16. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. Like, could you imagine this? Yeah, cool. Okay. Yeah, we'll do that. That's great. Jesus didn't minimize the need. He didn't say that it wasn't a huge, he didn't say that they weren't hungry. He looked at the disciples and said, you sacrifice for them. You make space for them. I know you're tired, I'm tired. Let's don't send them away. In verse 17 it goes on, it says, they said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. Like, do you think there's any way that wasn't said sarcastically? Jesus, okay, we'll do it. We've got a Lunchable, that's fine. We'll take care of it. We'll figure it out. I mean, do you think there's any way that that wasn't said? Like, we've got a little bit for the horde of hangry people. We got this covered. I mean, there's any way to look at it and say, man, we're tired. We were trying to get away. This is supposed to be sabbatical for us. And then, like, people just kept coming, and they were needy. And now we've got these needy people. And now the needy people are hungry and empty. And you're saying, you do something for them. Verse 18, and he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Verse 19. Jesus took what they had and thanked God for it. Verse 20, God made it enough to satisfy the needy and there were leftovers, 12 baskets, one for each follower after Jesus, one for each disciple name. In those 21 verses, like, like all the needy people pressing upon Jesus, the, the grieving and the brokenhearted, the sick and, and empty. Like, can you imagine, like, what would have come with that? The complaints and the bitterness, the accusation and the demands. Like, even those who were trying to serve, like, they would have had excuses. They would have had this. And all of this, we have this very specific disposition of Jesus, and it's described for us in verses 13 and 14. It says, we have a compassionate Jesus. Jesus sees the needs. Jesus sees the deficits. Jesus sees the hurts. All those who came to him, not all the needs and not all the brokenness was brought to him, but all that came to him, he saw them and he had this very specific response. He had compassion on them. This word is actually ascribed to Jesus a lot when he sees it. It's like, listen to this. In Matthew 9, verse 36, it says this. When he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
Or, or we can look at Matthew 15, verse 32. It says, Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowds, because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat, and I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. Or we have Mark chapter 9, verse 21, and Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening? So what happened before this was a dad brought his son and his son would have these epileptic episodes and fall into fire and fall into water and it was scary. He said, how long has this been happening? And he said, from childhood. And has often cast him into fire or into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us. Have room in your heart force. We see it again in Luke 7, verse 12 through 14. It says, as Jesus drew near to the gates of his town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the buyer, and the buyer stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. These are all the same word that we have here in Matthew 14, that the heart of God is filled with compassion when we bring neediness to him. And so like the compassion, it literally means feeling something from the gut level. Like, when you see something so disturbing, it makes you sick. Like, it makes you, like, tense up on the inside. And so this is like a deep, felt thing. The word describes the innermost part of Jesus when he sees the needs of others is from his bowels. From deep with inside, he has this strong feeling. And it's not because of his tiredness. He was tired and trying to get away. It's not because of, of his sadness like he was sad about John the Baptist and trying to get away. It's tied to all these other things that the sick were being brought to him. And he had a compassion from the deep levels of his soul. Or the confused disciples were coming to him. And he had compassion from the deep level of his soul. Or people just in need who didn't have enough food in that moment. It says that he had this compassion for them. You know, we, we see in Luke 19 and John 11, there are two times that Jesus, it records that he weeps. In Luke 19, it's when he looks over Jerusalem and he knows what's coming. And he just says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks. And it says he weeps. That's what compassion looks like. Or we also see it in John 11 when Lazarus, his friend, has died and he shows up and he already knows he's dead. He's already decided that he's going to raise him up because he told the disciples days before, I'm going to show you that I'm the resurrection. He already knows what he is, but he gets around Mary and Martha and he sees their brokenness and he sees their sadness and he sees their confusion and their accusation. Where were you? And he weeps. That's what compassion looks like. The deepest part of Jesus, right here, it describes him as he has compassion, tears for others. Listen to this quote um, from the book we're going to give you, or you can take. If you're not going to read it, don't take it, okay? But if you're going to read it, take it. If you have a friend who's going to read it, take it for them too. Um, but it says this, this 
is deeper than saying Jesus is loving or merciful or gracious. The the cumulative testimony of the four Gospels is that when Jesus Christ sees the fallenness of the world all about him, his deepest impulse, his most natural instinct is to move toward that sin and suffering, not away from it. Is there a part of your life that is tired, unsure, weary, growing bitter? Are you discouraged or frustrated, growing cynical or empty? Are there things that you just don't understand and you've brought them to Jesus over and over or you've just prayed about it or maybe you haven't brought them at all, but like your disposition when you think about Jesus, does it look like, does it look like this? Do you see Jesus with compassion longing to draw near you no matter what time of day, like a gladness that you would turn to him in that very moment? Do you see a Jesus like this? Or do you fear that God is just put out or disappointed and maybe acting a little bit like the disciples of, man, we just don't have what they need. Send them away. Jesus Christ. God incarnate who entered this world came to show you the heart of God for you, came to make a way back. And it's not just that you now have a way back to forgiveness. You now have a way back to the compassionate heart of God. He never turns away. He never pushes away. He's not put out. Even knowing that he was going to raise Lazarus, he still wept with them. This is the good news of the gospel Do you have that kind of ebbing certainty in your life? And we're asking you over the next several weeks to look at who Jesus is in the New Testament, how it describes him, because he is full of compassion for needy people, whatever the brokenness might be. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I pray that we just wouldn't stop at the compassion that we see with Jesus. Lord, we would want to be a part of the conduit of that compassion. Lord, people suffer for so many ways. People get trapped in sin in so many ways. And Lord, sometimes it's because of really poor decisions. And Lord, a compassionate God doesn't just look at that and say, well, here you are. A compassionate God is not unaware of how we got here, but a compassionate God steps in to receive and to make a difference. Lord Jesus, help us see you like that. In this moment of the service, we invite everyone who trusts and treasures Jesus to join us with communion. And the way that we take communion is uh, we have two options. Back at, in the back of the room, uh, there's some individual serving cups on the, uh, on the information table, and you can grab that. That is both gluten-free and it's grape juice. But up in the front, what we have is bread and wine. And the bread and wine are the symbols that remind us that Jesus told us to remember how we can know the compassionate heart of God was because of the death and resurrection of Jesus for us. And so we start on the bread side and it'll be torn away for you and then it's dipped into the wine to remind us that the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus was spent for you. Father, Lord, I pray that you would be with us.
I pray that we would have a sense of what your heart is like. And we ask this in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Come when you're ready.